On the 21st of September 2006, the master of the Coombe Hospital rushed to the High Court. One of his patients was losing blood at such a fast rate that it was unlikely that they would survive without a blood transfusion. He wanted to get an emergency injunction from the High Court so that he could transfuse this patient. However, the patient refused. This was because the patient was a Jehovah's Witness and refused on religious grounds to get a blood transfusion. So does doctor know best? Or should the patient be able to decide the course of action, even if it might lead to their death? Welcome to Legally Fond. Welcome to season three of Legally Fond in association with lawschool.ie. Lawschool.ie is Ireland's leading provider of tuition for the FE1 or King's Inns entrance exams. Each course is delivered live online with a specific exam focus and supported by the latest manuals. Shorter pre-recorded workshops are also available. Courses commence in June and November, and you can register anytime at lawschool.ie. For the duration of this season, we're giving away a free subject course worth €355, which can be used for any FE1 or King's Inns prep course subject with lawschool.ie. For your chance to win that, head to our Instagram. It's legally underscore font. Okay, so the case we're doing today, thankfully had a happy ending, but was a bit more chaotic than it probably should have been. So, on the 21st of September 2006, a woman who we referred to as uh, Miss K was in hospital. She was pregnant with a baby boy, and at around 9.45am, she suffered a massive postpartum hemorrhage, as resulting from a cardiovascular collapse. We're not legal experts, never mind medical experts, so we don't really know what that is. But, basically, she lost a lot of blood. She lost about half her blood at that stage, and through the whole ordeal, had lost about 70 to 80% of her blood. So the master of the hospital said that she needed a blood transfusion. The issue then arose that she said she was a Jehovah's Witness who cannot, according to their religion, take a blood transfusion. It's, you know, against God the Almighty. So the master of the hospital doubted her capacity. So basically that means that whether she was able to make the decision for herself. He rang the hospital solicitor and they made an application to the courts to say, well, we need to give her a blood transfusion. She does not have capacity. We want to do it basically without her consent. Judge said, okay, this was all in the space of about four and a half hours. And at 2.35 p.m., she was given the blood transfusion she needed. Ultimately, you know, everything worked out all right. She gave birth to this baby, to this healthy baby boy. Her life was saved. And then afterwards, she sued the hospital. So she was saying that he should not have doubted her capacity to refuse this treatment. Now, the master of the hospital kind of doubted her for a number of reasons. Firstly, she wasn't a native English speaker. The communication aspect, she wasn't able to really communicate her wishes. So they hadn't told her that they were going to court to get this application to, you know, they had to sedate her to give her this blood transfusion, which ultimately saved her life. But she said that it violated her constitutional rights, uh, such as, you know, bodily integrity. As Alex said, the matter subsequently came before the court um, in analysing that ex-party decision of the High Court to permit the Master of Coombe Women's Hospital to have the blood transfusion administered to a woman who had previously refused it. Just to start from the outset, um, ex-party decision, obviously Latin phrase, Latin legalism here, just means that one of the parties is present and the other isn't there to make submissions on their behalf. And as Alex said, the woman in in this case was not actually informed that there was a submission made to the High Court. And so it was only the master of uh, Coombe Hospital who made representations to the judge in this case. Eventually, the High Court or the uh, Miss Justice Lafoy found that 
while the decision of the High Court was flawed, it did not amount to a denial of her constitutional rights and that the action was ultimately justified by the circumstances of the case. What we're going to do is look at those circumstances, look at the issues of law arising. There is a question of a balancing of rights matter, the issue of capacity and various other intricacies and idiosyncrasies of the case which led to the Master of Coombe Hospital determining, in his own professional opinion, that... Miss Kay did not possess full capacity to deny the blood transfusion. And that's what we're discussing today. So in Ireland, in order to be able to consent to something, you have to have three things. So capacity, information, and it has to be a voluntary decision. So today, information isn't really the the issue. Um, voluntariness isn't the issue. It is capacity. Capacity basically means that you can make a decision for yourself. Taking away somebody's capacity is obviously a very big step for any like any state to make or any authority to make, doctor or not. Um, it's not really done lightly. You're assumed to have capacity as an adult. It's different for minors, but that's a different episode. Yeah, I think there have been a good few cases regarding Jehovah's Witnesses and blood transplants and what a doctor is to do in the circumstances Interestingly, now when you search Jehovah's Witness blood transplant online, the first thing that comes up is the HSE website, which has a whole set of guidelines on what medical professionals are obliged or not permitted to do in circumstances where a Jehovah's Witness um, falls sick and needs a blood transfusion. They won't even receive their own blood if they they need their own blood for some reason. But it's interesting that most Jehovah Witnesses or Jehovah's Witnesses um, carry... um, an advanced directive card, which is uh, specifically for such scenarios in which they are attended to by medical personnel and it outlines what they can and can't do um, in order to help save a person's life if if they are a, a member of that faith. This is partly where some of the issues with this case arise because when Miss Kay checked into Coombe Women's Hospital, first off on the form of declaration when she signed in, she denoted herself as a Roman Catholic and she didn't actually carry one of these cards and the issues surrounding the blood transfusion only arose just as it was about to happen where she said hold on a second I'm a Jehovah's Witness I can't get a blood transfusion it's interesting so they do have procedures in place it would seem but they have to know in advance if the patient is Jehovah's Witness or not. Um, And these present really interesting ethical questions about, you know, ultimately, does the patient know best? Should the patient be deciding? Or religion versus the right to life, kind of. Genesis 9-4 and Leviticus 17-10. Yeah, which is read really literally where they, it says something about, one of them says something like, thou shalt not eat blood. Uh, and Jehovah's Witnesses uh, encompass blood transfusions within that. And I think the idea is that it poisons the soul. They have a belief that the soul is meant to be pure. And if you're taking someone else's blood into your uh, into your body, it, it spoils your soul. But what was particularly important in this case, and the reason that the master of the high or the master of the Coombe Hospital went to court, was two things. Firstly, the child had already been born. Now it would have probably been a different circumstance if the child if she was still pregnant and hadn't given birth to the child, because then you'd have two lives to weigh up. You'd have the the life of the unborn child and you'd have the life of the patient. And Um, this area of law is particularly complicated, or at least this case is, because, of course, it was pre the referendum on the Eighth Amendment, which, of course, subsequently overturned the constitutional provision that weighed both the life of the 
mother and the unborn child in equilibrium terms yeah Yeah. and you would have had a situation there where if the mother had lost her life the child also would have lost what lost their life that wasn't the case here the child had been born before she was due to get the transfusion so the the concern of the master of the coom was that this lady had said her husband was out of the country and they were worried this child if its mother dies right now will have no parents to look after it and to raise it. And it has constitutional rights to be, you know, educated, raised, loved by some parents. And it's going to have to go straight into the adoption system or, or, or whatever, into the social care system uh, if it doesn't have living parents in the country. So that, that was really the worry. That was why they w- had to go to court. Isn't it interesting, though, that the people making the decision, it wasn't the patient making the decision, it wasn't the trained clinicians making the decision, a judge was the one that was making the decision here. What, what, do, what do you think of that? Well, in fairness, it is um, like the judge, the judges like in these cases do defer to, you know, the specialists here. So um, like anesthesiologists gave evidence, uh, obstetricians gave evidence, like, you know, this wasn't, uh, like, these aren't decisions made completely, you know, plucked out the blue of, in a sense, it does seem kind of quite arbitrary of, like, some sort of arbiter of moral good. But medical evidence is taken into account. And, like, she probably would have died if this didn't happen. Like, ends Yeah, off. and look, it's, ultimately, the judge here is deciding a matter of law. It's not for him to determine or her to determine whether what is being presented by the doctors is is medically accurate. They're taking that as medical evidence. They're taking that as expertise from the doctors. What they're doing is trying to essentially balance what is presented to them by the court against the apparent wishes of of, of Miss Kay here to not get the blood transfusion with the interests of the child and indeed the underlying interests of the doctors to preserve life of Miss Kay. And, And as you say, Alex... It was highly likely, if not a certainty, that if she didn't get this blood transfusion, she would have died. And the what people might find very curious is Miss Kay is now going to court seeking damages and seeking a declaration of a breach of her constitutional rights on the ground that the doctors did something that saved her life. So she's complaining about something that was done to her that kept her alive. Interestingly, there have been other cases which have never found any satisfaction, thankfully, in the courts, but that have concerned. For example, if you were to suffer a heart attack and somebody, first responder on the scene, uh, gives you CPR and breaks a few ribs in the process, and as a result, then you're in pain, but your life has been saved, um, and that you have other, otherwise would have died from a heart attack had you not gotten that CPR. And people have just the same sought damages for for that very reason. Now, the courts have made it clear that there is a public policy objective that if somebody is to collapse, let's say, walking down the street, that people won't walk around them for fear that if I try help this person, if I give them CPR and break a few ribs, um, I might be held liable. Uh, subsequently in in court action. So that's something that they don't want. They don't want to deter a kind of good Samaritan nature of people by saying, if if you do something in saving somebody's life but cause some other minor damage, you're going to be held liable. And it is a case of life over limb in these scenarios. Like Jehovah's Witnesses turn up a lot of case law on this kind of thing of refusing treatment. Um, There's issues about whether minors can refuse blood transfusions. She was compass mentis in the sense that, like, you know, she was able to communicate. She wasn't, you know, uh, she wasn't in a coma. She wasn't, you know, unconscious. 
she said that she understood the risks involved. I guess if you start, like, you have to start with, okay, we'll preserve life here. And then, I guess, you know, risk the rest of it. That has to be priority number one. So preserve life first and then kind of worry about the... The capacity and the formalities afterwards. Especially when, I know, like... Well, sure, do doctors still sign the Hippocratic Hippocratic Oath, which, uh, you know, obliges them to preserve and protect life and do what's best for the patient? And what's best for the patient will always be to keep them alive, you know? Yeah, now, look, like Alex says, you know, um, I suppose a lot of this, a lot of these issues and, and the master of, of the Coombe Hospital makes this submission that it was complicated by the fact that they had to have a translator, a friend of the woman in question had to translate into French for her. She um, she couldn't she couldn't speak English to the level to to understand what was happening. Nonetheless, she was told if, if you don't get this blood transfusion, you may die. Um she she was aware of those facts. But equally, let's look at the other circumstances. This woman had, as you say, at very early on stages, um, Alex had lost 50% of her blood. Uh, towards the end of a very long and difficult labour, she had then lost up to 70 to 80% of her blood. Um, the doctors were acting under the representation that she was alone in the country. And there was no other parent to look after the child. And, um, you know, she, she was certainly uh, having undergone uh, immense medical and physical trauma as as a result of the delivery of her child. In what state is this person to make quite literally a life or death decision as to, the, well, as to their well-being? I, I mean, could you argue that whatever about her going into hospital initially declaring that she was Roman Catholic and it, she later saying, no, I'm a Jehovah's Witness. If we assume that she was, in fact, a Jehovah's Witness, which must have been the case if she was refusing this life-saving treatment... That would have overridden in any circumstance, regardless of her capacity and whether she had just given birth to a child or whether she was communicating through a different language. Surely the fact that she was a Jehovah's Witness, if she was a devout Jehovah's Witness, in any circumstances she would have refused this blood transfusion. It's kind of, it. it's a difficult line to tread because obviously, you know, we would all take the treatment. We'd all say, yeah, like, just give it to me. You know, we, it wouldn't be a question. I guess the what's at stake for a Jehovah's Witness when they're getting a blood transfusion is like eternal damnation. Like literally, you know, you're going to spend the next infinite number of years like burning in hell. But that's I guess that's the, that's the mindset. Yeah, it it's is, not yeah. like I, it isn't. It's a bit dismissive if we just say, oh, well, they're just crazy people. But that's the like that is the mindset that they have. So we'll continue our discussion in just a moment. I want to announce the winner of our company law textbook with thanks to Claris Press. Well done to Leisha Curtis. You've got yourself the book. Another book to give away next week. Make sure you keep your eyes on the Instagram. It's legally underscore fond. Do you accept what I was saying that it wasn't the circumstances that affected her? Well, the circumstances might have affected her capacity. But the very fact that she was a Jehovah's Witness would have meant that in any circumstances where she was being offered a blood transfusion, she would have said no. no. Well, look, I mean, again, you know, we were operating off of the belief or the certainty here that she was a Jehovah's Witness. And, I, I'm, you know, the subsequent court case suggests that she, she, she is a Jehovah's Witness. But again, look at the facts that were presented to the hospital at this stage. She had a form saying that she was Roman Catholic. Shortly before the blood transfusion, having lost a lot of blood already, uh, uh, she said she was a Jehovah's Witness. Um, there was immense communication difficulties. Um, at one point, she suggested herself to the doctors in lieu of getting the blood transfusion that she might avail of 
drinking Coca-Cola and eating tomatoes. Um, they were faced with a very, very difficult um, situation to determine what was the best course of action. Also, as the judge notes, she didn't carry what is very kind of staple uh, piece of paraphernalia for Jehovah's Witnesses, a card which outlines at the beginning you know, what to do to save my life if you can't give me a blood transfusion. The hospital was, was, was kind of taken aback by this and they, they had to act quickly. And um, This I is said, all in the space of four and a half hours. This yeah. is not a long time. To go to court, get an application and give a blood transfusion. Like, okay, yeah, for the hospital anyway, like time pressure, you kind of will have to like, you know, say, well, we just have to do this now. Like that's what the judge said about the kind of issues with the application itself, like, there wasn't, you know, it wasn't written down. There's there was oral evidence because of the time constraints. You know, you can kind of look past that and say, well, they just had to save somebody's life. Yeah, well, well, the question is, did they, did they necessarily have to save her life? Does doctor know best, or does patient know best? Well, look, I think ultimately, look, if you're to do a kind of tier system of rights, okay, right to life, right to religious expression, I think the right to life generally trumps that in in the sense that the right of a living person to continue living and uh, I I think Alex is right in making the point that you're better off to ask for you know permission than forgiveness in in this sort of scenario and perhaps slightly trample and infringe on her right to religious expression ask for forgiveness or ask for forgiveness later is easier than asking for permission Exactly. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, if if it was the case that, um, you know, if you reverse the scenario here where the hospital potentially on the facts that they were operating with left this woman die, left her child an orphan and the other parent not being in the country and seemingly having no contact or being even aware, perhaps that his uh, that um, he had a child born in Ireland um to be swept into the state services, that is not a, a, a good outcome. It's well, ironically, lot- the child, if the child was born then without a mother, he could potentially have sued the hospital saying, why didn't you give her the blood transfusion? I have no mother and your actions or your inaction led to my mother's death. So, it, I mean, it can it can flip either way, I guess. I guess so. It's, this case is a lot more clear cut than a lot of them because it is, you know the rights of her son like we have to consider when we have like when we're talking about this it's like uh, well yeah this is so much easier because well you know she had a child to be a mother to it's a very different conversation when we're talking about somebody who is an adult has not just had a child and is saying no just let me die yeah now look i mean we're talking about balancing of rights here but actually um in in the uh, high court re- revisitation of of the um original application miss justice lafoy said that ultimately the balance of right question didn't actually come into the matter because that would have only been at play had um miss gabe been found to enjoy full capacity when she made the decision and because of the underlying factors we've mentioned here because of the difficulties of communication the uh, hemorrhages she had suffered, the fact she was apparently alone uh, and the discrepancies between her religion on the form and what she said to the doctors, um, this wasn't the case. So they didn't have to engage in what at the time was a very, very difficult exercise and a legal conundrum really of balancing the rights of a child versus a parent, uh, particularly complicated um, when the child isn't unborn, but he, he was born in this case, which kind of made it a bit clearer. But basically, because she didn't have full capacity, um, the Miss Justice Lafoy said, yes, the master of the hospital was correct to question her capacity on the facts. And although probably slightly flawed, the decision fundamentally didn't infringe on her constitutional rights.
it gave important guidance to doctors because they need to know what their legal position is in this situation because potentially when it is life and death and if they fail to do something that leads to somebody's death or they do something that leads to somebody's death, you know, potentially they're in a situation where they, they could face prosecution afterwards. The judgment said that a doctor's duty is discharged if when a patient refuses to accept uh, treatment uh, and there's no issue as to the patient's capacity to make that decision. And I thought this was an interesting point that the judge said you have to distinguish between misunderstanding the information that you're given, i.e. if the doctor says it's a life and death scenario, if we do this, you'll you'll live. If we, do, if we don't do this, you'll, you'll die. Um, and if the patient misunderstands that, that's one thing. Whether or not the patient makes a rational decision I would assume in a life and death scenario that would be choosing life over death. Um, that's a different question. So ultimately, it did clarify that it's up to the patient to decide once they have the right information available and once they have the capacity to make the decision in terms of being compass mentis and um, of sound mind, I guess, that it's up to the patient to ultimately decide their fate. I think it is quite difficult, though, because... How can it's very like in a moment like that? Can you really weigh up like life and death? Can you like in the space of four like four hours? It's a very short amount of time. You have to decide whether you're going to live the rest of your life. Well, mm. somebody has to make that decision. Ultimately, they it's do. Going to be the doctor. It's going to be the court. It's going to be the patient. And if they don't act quick enough, fate unfortunately will decide. Yeah, I mean, look, is it a case of it's better to regret action than inaction? Uh, as we pointed out there, that um, you know. Look, they, they they made a decision, a, a decision to ultimately save this woman's life. And uh, I, I suppose, look, if, you know, drawing on what Alex said there about, you know, essentially her now adhering to her religious beliefs, living a damned life, uh, is, is her quality of life subsequently reduced? And this should be a legitimate concern and, and question we ask ourselves. Uh, is is her quality of life reduced as a result of that decision? Um because she she now feels she's she's committed a, a, a capital sin or a deadly sin against uh, her chosen faith. Um, that's really difficult, uh, and it gets into very hard courts for uh, or hard hard territory for the courts to determine. It's I guess for a lot of people, it's just it's so out there to even consider that religion would be a motivation for this. Like it really is. You know, we don't really appreciate the kind of depth of con- that depth of conviction. Like there are very strong religious freedoms in this country, as there should be. It's very important. Um, the state shouldn't interfere in your religion. It's just, I guess, a lot of people don't mind when it's just it's not doesn't affect anybody else. But I guess if you die, it does have an effect on other people. It's not like you know, just like disappearing into the ether. Like it, it has a very tangible effect on other people. Yeah, and particularly in this case where there was a child who had been born minutes before well potentially hours before his mother would potentially pass away because of not receiving this blood transfusion i think yeah people find it hard to get their heads around the irrationality it might seem of this particular belief yeah that somebody would choose death over life on the basis of their religious beliefs like i mean in in the court of public opinion i I think it's patently clear that the doctors and the judges involved in this 100% made the correct decision by saving this woman's life and um, certainly from you know you can kind of imagine perhaps a tabloid headline saying you know woman whose life is saved 
sues the hospital uh, takes on life. the justice system for doing just that. I mean, it, it, it strikes us as bizarre, but oftentimes this is where the law comes into its own in that it has to balance these things by looking at them from, from, a, from a legal perspective and one that isn't just immediately kind of the emotive response to say, of course that woman's life should be saved and forget about her own wishes or her, her religion. So thanks so much for listening to that episode of Legally Fond. As we remind you every week, if you enjoyed it, we'd really appreciate you leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. And of course, giving us a follow on Instagram, legally underscore fond. Talk to you soon. (laughs) 